welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. You shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7 Legacy Standard Bible Hello! Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm Victoria Kay, and we're so happy that you are joining with us today on Anchored by Truth as we continue our series on the Ten Commandments. In this series, we are not only thinking about the commandments themselves, but we were also discussing the fact that the commandments are historically and culturally reasonable. The commandments were given to an Israelite nation that was in transition from being in bondage to a pagan nation to preparing to start their national life anew in their own land. Despite the fact that the commandments are firmly set in place and time, however, they are nevertheless transcendent ethical principles that are relevant to us and to our lives, even though 3,500 years have passed since Moses first brought them down from the mountain. To help us think through all this, we have R.D. Fierro in the studio. R.D. is an author and founder of Crystal Sea Books. That's C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S-E-A-B-O-O-K-S dot com. R.D., the Ten Commandments really are amazing, aren't they? Yes, they are. And I'd also like to say hello to everybody who's joining us on Anchored by Truth today. We're glad you're here, and we hope you find these programs valuable to you. We know the one thing that will always be valuable to everybody, anywhere, and anytime, is to turn to their Bible. Go to your Bible, pick it up, start reading. We would encourage people to get involved with the good Bible reading program that helps them go through the Bible in a systematic fashion, such as reading the Bible once a year. And there are a lot of programs out there that are good and that make perfect sense, so we're not going to recommend one over another, but we think you should find a program that makes sense for you, that fits into your daily schedule, and that helps you understand the Bible, not just read the Bible, because there are a lot of things in the Bible that don't resonate or don't have a connection with the modern reader, and a good study Bible or a good Bible commentary or a good Bible reading program, many available from the internet, They'll help people as they go through the Bible to make more sense of it and to be able to begin to apply the Bible in their life. Well, the Ten Commandments, as you said, make perfect sense to the people to whom they were first given. And they made sense in light of the cultures and the nations that existed in the 15th century before Christ, especially in the nations that were in the Middle East. So it's remarkable when you think about it that the pronouncements that were made to ancient Hebrews of the Exodus generation, again, 1,500 years before Christ was born, approximately, it's remarkable that those pronouncements made to that people at that time continue to be so important and relevant to us today. 
And so that means that in the Ten Commandments, we see a truly amazing body of expressed wisdom, which of course heightens our confidence that they were given by an omniscient and omnipotent God. That was certainly true of the First and Second Commandments, which we looked at in the last couple of episodes, but we are also going to see that being just as true for the Third Commandment, which we are looking at today. When we looked at the First Commandment, we saw it made good sense for it to be number one because it reminded the Hebrews of a simple but profound fact. There is one and only one true God who created everything. So no one should ever dishonor that God by attributing worship to any lesser being, creature, or part of the creation. Similarly, the second commandment reminds us that the Creator is Spirit, who dwells in unapproachable light. No one has ever seen His essence. No one will ever see His essence during this phase of redemption's story. As such, there is no way anyone could ever make a meaningful representation of the one true God. So we must not try. Trying to depict God would mean that we are imposing our ideas on a being whose, as Isaiah 55, 8 says, quote, ways are far beyond anything we could imagine, unquote. This is just as disrespectful of God as attributing worship to anyone or anything other than him. So we see a theme in the first two commandments that is continued in the third commandment. God wants us to know him, to truly know him. But because we are limited, finite, and frankly sinful creatures, we can only truly know God if we are willing to set aside our own misconceptions about him. We don't have to employ our imaginations to know who God is because God has given us his special revelation to guide us into having a proper relationship with him. The Bible is that special revelation. That is the reason that becoming familiar with the Bible is so very important. The first three commandments are complementary. They help complete the thought that runs throughout the commandments. The first commandment clearly establishes the principle that we may only properly accord our worship to the God who made everything, the Creator. Now, the second commandment begins a series of instructions, guidance, if you will, that tells us how we are to incorporate that basic principle into our daily lives. And that guidance begins quite sensibly by warning us not to attempt to redefine the unlimited, perfectly holy God by creating representations of him or by ascribing his majesty to any part of the created order. Assigning divinity to a part of the created order was common in the time of Exodus, and it was particularly common in the religious worship of the Egyptians. For instance, the Egyptians often conceived of their god Amun-Re as their sun god. Worshipping the sun or the moon were common motifs in pagan religions of the ancient Mideast. The third commandment continues the general theme of telling the Hebrews and us how to ensure that we don't dishonor God. The second commandment tells us not to create any images or representations of God. And then the third commandment tells us to be very careful with God's name. And we heard a version of the third commandment in our opening scripture. And that version came from the Legacy Standard Bible. And in that version, we heard that we are not to take God's name in vain. Other versions say that we are not to misuse God's name. For instance, the New International Version says, quote, 
you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, unquote. The Amplified Bible puts it this way, quote, You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, irreverently, in false affirmations, or in ways that impugn the character of God. For the Lord will not hold guiltless nor leave unpunished the one who takes his name in vain, disregarding its reverence and its power, unquote. Yes. So, as commentators have considered the implications of the Third Commandment, some commentators have construed the Third Commandment fairly narrowly. As an example, the famous Bible commentator Charles John Ellicott said this, quote, Most modern critics regard that phrase used as forbidding false swearing only, but some think it forbids also profane or vain swearing. But other commentators have seen the Third Commandment as having broader implications. The Reverend Joseph Benson, who also wrote a famous Bible commentary, was in this camp. Reverend Benson wrote this, quote, We take God's name in vain, first by hypocrisy, making profession of God's name, but not living up to that profession. Second, by covenant breaking. If we make promises to God and perform not to the Lord our vows, we take his name in vain. Third, by rash swearing, mentioning the name of God or any of his attributes in the form of an oath, without any just occasion for it, to no good purpose or to no good. Fourth, by false swearing, which some think is chiefly intended in the letter of the commandment. Fifth, by using the name of God lightly and carelessly. So, which camp are you in? Well, I'm in the camp that says in all of the commandments, God was giving us general principles, but he expressed those principles in very specific behavioral requirements. So we need to be concerned about both the specific and the general. In the third commandment, God was definitely prohibiting the use of his name in swearing or cursing. That's the old-timey, if you will, understanding of the third commandment. And you'd almost think that this kind of a commandment wouldn't be necessary. But it is, because swearing and cursing and including God's name in our curses and our swear phrases, that's unfortunately such a common practice. And of course, this is objectionable because men should never involve God in profanity. But as I've said, I also think that in addition to that prohibition, God was continuing the theme that he started in the first two commandments of ensuring that we know how to properly relate to God. And properly relating to God means that we accord God the respect, reverence, and honor that is due to the royal sovereign of the universe who created everything that exists. That includes not attributing God's majesty to anything lesser and not trying to impose our limited concepts on an infinite God. The third commandment extends that line of reasoning by telling us to be careful with God's name. Correct. But one of the things I want us to think about today is why the third commandment is centered around respect for God's name. By phrasing the third commandment the way he did, I think that God was making some very important points. Such as? such as the overall relationship of God's name to his attributes and majesty. The Bible uses multiple names for God throughout the scripture, but the one in view in the third commandment is Yahweh. That's Yahweh is a Hebrew word, and it's rendered Jehovah in Greek. And as we've discussed before on Anchored by Truth, Yahweh is the personal name of God, and we know that because of the famous encounter between God and Moses at the burning bush. 
Yahweh means I am. That's why you sometimes hear people refer to the great I am. So Yahweh means I am, and that name points to God's self-existence, or what theologians call the attributes of aseity. Now, in using this name, God continues to remind his people that he alone is self-existent, and that this is not a quality that any other creature or being shares. It reminds me of the demand we hear expressed today when someone says that they want their props. If lowly human beings can expect to receive appropriate credit or recognition, how much more reasonable is it for the Lord of the universe to expect that? Right. God has phrased the third commandment in such a way that even sinful human beings can see the reasonability of it. God alone is self-existent. God alone created everything. Well, since God created everything, he obviously has the right to rule everything, just as a painter has control over a painting, or a sculptor has control over his sculpture. Therefore, we should not disrespect or dishonor God by abusing his name, by either cursing with it, or lying to it, or making vows that we have no intention of keeping. So that is one of the fundamental thoughts in the third commandment. We need to properly honor God's name. And even, as you say, sinful human beings should be able to understand that. If someone walks into a room and calls someone Joan rather than Jane, either Jane or someone else will quickly correct them for their error. We will not only correct others who call us by the wrong name, we will correct them if they mispronounce our name. Even sinful human beings tend to be very concerned about the proper use of their name. Why do you think that is? Because names are related to two things that are very important to all of us, identity and relationship. Our identities are linked to our names. Names are not only the way in which we are distinguished in the world and society, but they are the means by which we think about ourselves. I mean, I've seen kids who are named after one of their parents when they get old enough to realize they want their own identity They'll start telling their family, don't call me by the name of my parent, but call me by a different name. They want to be distinguished personally. Those kids want to be called by a different name because that name is a part of their identity and they think of themselves in terms of their names. And so a lot of kids get to the age where they want to be something more than just someone else's son or daughter. It is true that names are an absolute key to how people relate to the world. You can think of any number of celebrities who have taken enormous pains to either create a special name for themselves or change the name they are using in order to be more identifiable or distinctive. We won't start naming names here today, but it wouldn't be hard to come up with a long list very quickly of politicians, sports stars, or entertainment celebrities who have spent a great deal of time, money, and occasionally legal resources defending their name. And that's just not true in today's world. Even in Moses' time, the elite of that time, like the pharaohs, were careful about ensuring that people knew their names and honored them. Similarly, there are monuments all over Egypt bearing the scars where one pharaoh would have the predecessor's name chiseled off buildings and temples. I guess when you think about it, even sinful human beings are pretty protective of our names. Yes. Our names are how the world identifies us, and how we identify ourselves to the world. But names are not just important to our identity in the world. Names also play an important part in our relationships. For instance, 
It's very common within families or some other small group, a sports team or a business office or something like that, for people to be assigned nicknames, a name that signifies to the parties who use it a special relationship. And, of course, this is particularly common in marriages where a husband and a wife have a special name that only that person is allowed to use for the other party. And, of course, there are names in families often where only the parents are allowed to call their kids by that name. So names have a very particular role not only in identities, but also in relationships. Well, it's for sure that in our day, if your mother ever called you by your entire name, you knew you were in big trouble. But I take your point. Grandparents are often called special names by their grandchildren. Grandmothers might want to be Granny or Mima or Grandma or Yaya or a host of others. Grandfathers might be Papa, Granddad, Big Daddy, etc. And it's not uncommon for grandparents to call their grandchildren names that would be offensive from anyone else. And even beyond families giving nicknames out, it's common in a wide variety of settings such as sports teams, military units, business offices, restaurants, and so forth. When you begin to think about it, a lot of life revolves around names. Yes, and the same thing is true of titles. A title is a kind of a name that's used within organizational or cultural systems. I mean, if you just watch any of the British movies or television and start to think about the number of titles that the British use for their various categories of royalty, well, it frankly can be, to say the least, very confusing to people who are not British. In their system, there's a big difference in whether you call someone your grace or your lord or your majesty or your royal highness, etc. And the same thing is true in business. A chief executive officer is different from a chief operating officer. And a CEO, a chief executive officer, will very quickly correct you if you forget that difference. And in restaurants even, there's a big difference in many places between a chef de cuisine and a sous chef. And someone who works in that kitchen better know the difference. Titles like names are important to their holders. And title holders expect the rest of the world to pay attention to their title. And in God's case, many of his names also serve the same function as earthly titles. Two of the most common names for God in the Bible are Yahweh and Elohim. As we said, Yahweh means I am. Elohim means the Supreme One or the Mighty One. But there are times when these two names are combined when they are translated as Lord God. So while Yahweh, or Jehovah, is God's personal name, it can also function as part of a title that helps us appreciate God's uniquely exalted role in the universe. No other being would ever, could ever, come close to being the Lord God. Right. So all of this helps us see more clearly why the third commandment has a central focus around being careful with God's name. Even in our earthly world and circumstances, names play an unduplicated role in how we relate to our world and our society. Names are a central element of our identities, and names play a key role in how we relate to other people. You know, we are careful about how other people use our names, and some people can get downright defensive about it. That was true in Moses' day and time, and it remains true in our day. And frankly, the role and importance of our names to our identities and for our humanity has a dark side as well. 
One of the ways tyrannical governments have tried to dehumanize people is by taking away names and substituting numbers. One of the quickest ways to destroy people's self-esteem is to prohibit them from being called by their name and reducing them to just a number. This is a tactic that has been employed by some of the most repressive regimes that have ever tried to subjugate others. Right. So it's easy to see how all of this is relevant to the third commandment. If our names are important to our identities, then surely we can understand that God has a far, far much greater right to expect us to be careful with his name. And there is another consideration of why the third commandment is very important. Which is? Well, in the ancient world, the ability to assign names, or sometimes even to know a name, was considered a source of dominion and power. Well, that is consistent with the pattern that God established from the earliest moments of creation. Naming things was something that God did right away. Genesis chapter 1 says in part, quote, And God said, The light shall be, and the light was. And God saw the light, it is beautiful, and God separated between the light unto the darkness. And God called the light the day, and the darkness he called the night. And God called the dried land earth, and the assembly of waters he called the seas, unquote. As soon as God began creating things, he began naming them. God created light, land, and the seas. Then God named them. And God clearly exercises dominion over them. We would know this if by another way from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verse 41. This was the episode where Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee and the disciples in the boat exclaimed, quote, Even the wind and the waves obey him, unquote. Exactly. God exercises dominion over the creation that he created, and then God named the elements of the creation that he created. And when God created man in his image, God made man his steward, his deputy, and God granted man dominion over the animals. So in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it tells us that God said to Adam, and I quote, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of heaven, and over cattle, and over all animals that creep on the earth, close quote. God confirmed man's dominion over the other creatures when God brought the animals to man and told Adam to name the animals. Genesis chapter 2 verse 19 says, quote, And the Lord Jehovah God formed from the earth every animal of the wilderness and every bird of heaven, and he brought them to Adam to see what he called them, and everything that Adam called them, each living soul, that is its name, unquote. These quotes are from the Aramaic Bible in plain English. In other words, the ability to name things implies dominion and control. So if we foolishly try to misuse God's name, we're doing something that's really horrible. because. When we use God's name in a fashion in which he is prohibited, we are very unwisely and impenitently implying that we have some kind of a power over God. That, of course, is just silly. No one and nothing in all the created order has or could have power over the all-powerful God. No, they couldn't. But when we use God's name in a manner that he hasn't endorsed, that's tantamount to what we are doing. 
God doesn't, and he won't permit his name to be used flippantly, irreverently, or in connection with vain vows or profane oaths or curses. The prohibition of the first three commandments all harken back to what transpired in the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the animals, and he told them to tend the garden. And he only gave them one restriction, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Satan tempted them by saying, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God. Well, Adam and Eve succumbed to that temptation. And ever since, people have been succumbing to the temptation to want to set aside God's commandments in favor of their own judgment. So this sounds like a great time to go to God in prayer. Today, let's listen to a prayer of adoration for the God that is holy, righteous, perfect, and powerful. A Prayer of Adoration of the Father Almighty, gracious, and heavenly Father, we praise you and adore you and bow down before you. We are overcome by thoughts of your majesty and excellence, and we humbly come to you to worship you in spirit and in truth. We know from your word that you are a God in whom there is no imperfection, want, or lack. You are perfect in all of your attributes and all of your ways. Because you are the source of all light and illumination, there is no shadow or dark place in you. All creation stands in silent awe when it turns toward you. You dwell in the loftiest of the high places, surrounded by the angels that you created to serve you. Glory is your robe, power is your mantle, exaltation your drape, and sovereignty your cloak. Mere words could never describe your grandeur, yet we are exalted as we try. You alone are God. There is no other God like you. There never has been and there never will be. There will come a time when you will fully exercise your dominion as is fitting and right, and you will set right all that does not conform to your will. We look toward that day when we can stand breathless and amazed at your beauty and holiness. Until that time, let us grow in the knowledge and appreciation of your unmatched glory, and let all honor, praise, and worship be given only to you. In Christ's name, let all who know him praise the Lord. Amen. Is the Bible important in your life? Supporting Anchored by Truth with a contribution is an easy way to put your faith into action. The opportunity to help is available at crystalseabooks.com. How wonderful would it be for Jesus to commend us because we made His Word a priority in our lives and giving. We are grateful for your support and partnership. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage friends to tune in also or to listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com where We're not perfect, but our boss is. And for those of you who need that website one more time, 
That's crystalcbooks.com. Crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-S-E-A, and books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. Thank you for your support. Are you hungry for truth? Most people are today. Between changing social standards, cultural chaos, and denominational deviance, confusion is sweeping over our community like a tsunami. Will we be swept away, or will we be anchored by truth? At Crystal Sea Books, our passion is the Bible. The Bible came from the mind of God. The words of God are powerful in truth and love. God will give us peace and strength as we honor His Word. At Crystal Sea Books, we believe the Bible can be a dynamic part of adventure stories, lyrical rhythms, and even humor, as well as inspire our prayers and meditations. That's why Crystal Sea Books is so pleased to offer Purposeful Prayers and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers. Many people know that prayer is an essential component to a powerful Christian faith, but they feel uncertain when they begin a prayer commitment. I'm R.D. Fierro. Let my books, Purposeful Prayers, and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers come alongside you to help you prepare to go before the throne of grace and find peace and power that comes from learning to pray purposefully. Getting a copy of Purposeful Prayers could not be easier. Just go to crystalcbooks.com and use the link. That's crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, C-S-E-A, books, B-O-O-K-S dot com. In Purposeful Prayers and the Anthology of Purposeful Prayers, the Bible's timeless wisdom is captured in a devotional study of prayer and in prayers specially designed to build your faith as you focus on interceding for your family, friends, and nation. Get your own copy of Purposeful Prayers today. At Crystal Sea Books, we're not perfect, but our boss is.